This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm hoping the Big Ten has to modify their system for us. <laughs> Probably like getting grade 10 sandpaper rubbed on your face every day. I mean, we say it all the time, whether, you know, there's two types of turds, you're a sinker or you're a floater, but you're still a turd, right? I mean, um, we're, we're, we are about players and players playing the plays and not necessarily the plays. Welcome to the Varsity Club Podcast. My name is Derek Peterson. Joining me this week, I have Greg Smith. Greg, hello. Hey, how are you? I'm good. It always uh, gives me a little serotonin boost whenever you do your fist bump thing when I say welcome to. It's great. Thank you for that. No and I also have Erin Sorensen joining us today from her closet. Erin, how are you? Good. I didn't give you a fist bump. I apologize. <laughs> I did not know that was what we were we were doing. But now that I know better. <laughs> no, it's, it's Greg's signature thing. It's fine. Also, okay. I would like to point out that we have had many Zoom calls, many Teams calls. And I think this is the first time I've actually like noticed the actual closet portion of the room that you're zooming from i think it's because the window that i sit in from normally so if anyone's wondering what you're talking about in we live in an older home it was built in the early 1930s so they didn't build these homes to have you know a ton of space if you will so i don't have the actual like office in the house and i work out of my closet but i do have a desk and it's in front of a big window which is nice so i kind of am jokingly the neighborhood watch because i can see everything that's going on from this window the reason i think you can see more of my closet right now than normal is because usually i get a ton of light from this window and right now it's gloomy in nebraska so i'm not i'm not shining as brightly as i normally am. well also like the entire surface area of the state of nebraska is covered with like a foot of white so it's reflecting everything i don't want to um, talk about it i just don't want to talk about the snow <laughs> are you in an attic it looks like you're in it is it cold in this room that you're in well i'm curious now yes so in this house when they converted they converted the attic to a master bedroom and the room that is now my closet was like weirdly a sitting room like we can't really figure out what it was intended for originally and so when we moved in we're like this would be a good space for a second closet because in older homes that's like premium everyone wants closet space so we figured someday if we ever resell this house this will be like prime real estate uh, but yes, it is in the attic. And so two things happen with that. It gets very, very hot in the summer and it can get very cold in the winter. And there are not like a lot of air vents. So you have to be very strategic about where you, you can't block any of them or else you are just SOL. Uh, so no, I have a space heater going right next to me, dangerously close to me. I think it's like probably against the code of the space heater, but I'm doing all right. <laughs> oh, well, we survived uh snowmageddon the snowpocalypse this don't week. say that we might get more don't um, say that but it was only a precursor for what nebraska had in store for us this week 
Nebraska's own version of Armageddon. We need to come up with a, a snappy word for it. Like Snowmageddon just kind of rolls off the tongue. We need to find a way for, for this. Nebraska um, doesn't know how to behave in the offseason any other way but chaotically. Um, so, so that's why I have the two of you here. We're just going to talk about that. We're going to talk about Luke McCaffrey's transfer. Um, three guys put their name in the portal. Luke McCaffrey, Cade Warner, and Will Farniok. Taken individually, it's not a surprise in either of the three cases. It's not a huge deal in either of the three cases, but I think taken collectively, the conversation shifts a little bit. We'll talk about that. Um, Matt Lubick is reportedly a candidate for a head coaching job at the FCS level. We can talk about that if you guys want to. It's interesting that it's candidate and not Matt Lubick has interest in. Uh, It would be very, very strange for a power five offensive coordinator to take a pay cut to go coach at the uh, FCS level. But Lubick has done some off the beaten path things. So we'll see there. Um, Teams are trying to poach Nebraska's assistant coaches. Teams are trying to poach Nebraska's players. Nebraska's players are trying to leave. (laughs) But a bunch of them as we found out on, uh, was it Thursday morning, are very, very happy to be in Lincoln. Very excited to be on Team Fat Boys or Team Avenger and compete uh, in, in this winter conditioning kind of program that they've set up. I think it's kind of cool. The names are awesome that they have, these lifting groups. That's what they are. They're lifting groups. And it's it's going to be like a competition during uh, during winter conditioning. And like it's cool because Frost told us in, in – you know, his early days of getting to Nebraska that he wanted to return to a place where they were publishing lifting results. And it seems like maybe we're getting to that. So maybe that's a a cool byproduct that we could have in the last calendar year of, of not so good byproducts of Nebraska football. Um, But let's start with transfers. Let's start with, Oh no, Harry Kane is hurt. No Um, let's, let's not start with that. Nobody cares about Tottenham except for me and Brandon. Um, let's start with the transfers. Luke McCaffrey is leaving, uh, dubbed by Frost mid-season. It was actually just a couple months ago. The future at Nebraska, now that future is going elsewhere. Greg, we'll start with you since you just made a face. Um, your reaction, your gut reaction to this news, I, I think I know what it is. Have you... Now that you've had time to sit and process, we're recording this on a Thursday morning. The news came out, what was it, Tuesday, Wednesday, whenever? It's been a couple of days. Have you changed your um, standpoint on kind of what this says about the program, what this says about the offense or whatever in the days that you've had time to sit and think about this, to sit and process this? No, not really. I mean, I, I think my initial reaction was that it is it, Luke McCaffrey transferring sounds worse than it actually is for on-field impact, but Luke McCaffrey transferring when taken in the context of other things going on is what makes it kind of a, a bigger deal, I guess, than what the on-field context is. And it's interesting because you can kind of see as pe- like national writers kind of saw the news or like people that just cover the Big Ten as a whole. And it was, oh, my God, what, what's happening? Like Luke McCaffrey, he's a, it's a McCaffrey. He's leaving um, Nebraska. He started a couple of games. Like what in the world is going on there? And I think for 
us, and I don't speak for you guys, at least so for me, like it was more of the actual transfer was it is what it is. Like you are always probably going to lose one of those quarterbacks anyway, because that's just what happens now. Um, but it's more about the big picture. And with Luke specifically, it's to me a little bit more about I wonder, it made me wonder more about the plan for him and if it really would have been in his best interest to switch positions or if there were even conversations about that. Did he want to do that? But did Frost and Produsco even want to do that? Because Frost very recently said that he would be crazy to want to switch um, from playing quarterback. So it, it really wasn't a huge on-field impact, in my opinion, but it was just bigger in the big picture. Aaron, where are you at with this? I think what you said at the beginning is, I know we're just speaking about Luke, but I think anybody who has transferred to date with maybe the exception of Wandale, but even Wandale, but with anyone, whether they chose to leave or chose not to come back for another year with the NCAA allowing like a senior to be able to return can be justified as to why it there's reasons when you can, when you look at it where you can say, well, okay, well they would do this because of this. And so same thing with Luke, you look at it and you say, he probably didn't see a path to playing at least not starting and that that on its face value is enough to be like okay well you can explain it but then when you start to collectively look at everyone as a whole it becomes a bigger I think it becomes more concerning um in the case of Luke though specifically like I said I don't think he probably saw that path to playing and so it made sense to me why he might look elsewhere I think for I think for myself, and I'm not saying that this would have necessarily changed anything for Nebraska, but when you spend time saying somebody is the future and you bench your starter and you put him in and play him until things don't go well and then you pull him back out and put your starter back in place, I'm not saying that like I have the answer because if I did, I would be, you know, a head football coach right now, but I do think there is probably some level of questioning about why certain decisions were made. Would things have been different if maybe Nebraska hadn't played him at least started him? I mean, this season and said, we're going to, we're going to keep rolling with who we have as our starter through this weird season and then reevaluate in the off season that may have changed things. But I guess for myself, I'm not surprised that he made the decision. We can play the what, if game in every which scenario, maybe it would have made a difference. It's hard to know, but I think the other piece is he comes from a family that understands football more than most. And if he felt like there's a better opportunity somewhere else, I mean, I can't really blame him. He, again, he comes from a family who who's very experienced in this world. So it's hard to fault him or hard to question too much of his decision because it, he's just looking out for himself on this. I wonder, too, if it's not – I wonder if there is something, too, though, what you said, Aaron, about if they – not necessarily even if they don't play him, period. Like, if they mm-hmm. – let's say they go through the season using Luke McCaffrey the way that we saw him in the Ohio State game, where they essentially have a very niche role for him, and it's carved out, and he can try and make explosive plays doing that, and he, like – for lack of a better phrase, like feels like, I guess, more involved with the team on a week to week basis, because it isn't a will they or won't they start him at quarterback situation. 
Like, I do wonder if that makes a difference. Like, because if he doesn't, like, let's say Luke doesn't want to move off a of quarterback, could having had some success doing something else have maybe changed his mind? I guess is what I'm just trying to say. Yeah. Or even like, even if, like you said, if he doesn't want to leave the quarterback position, I think in a lot of us questioned the decision-making around benching Adrian starting Luke, and then again, benching Luke and starting Adrian. And uh, it was actually Jacob Padilla who broke this down in padding the stats this week. And so I don't want to take everything from what he said. People are welcome to go to Hill Varsity and read it. I think it's, it's really well done. Um, how he kind of breaks down some of the things that Frost said about Luke, but we heard how many times throughout this extended off season prior to what was this weird season that the two of them were grading out almost identically. So if you're Luke and you are being told, and again, we don't know what's happening behind the scenes because we're not privy to it. We don't get to see, we haven't seen practice in a long time, but if, if say that is true, you're being told you're grading out at a very similar level and you get the opportunity to start, it doesn't go well, you get pulled back out and you're looking at the fact that Adrian is still at Nebraska. He hasn't graduated. You're going to be competing with him again. And let's say you lose again that job to him. And now once this season is over, this 2021 year is over, you're going to also be competing with Logan Smothers and um, Heinrich. Uh, you're, you're going to be competing with more guys behind you. And then on top of it, uh, Adrian could technically stick around for even longer because the NCAA has made that to be the case. Like, He's kind of getting, in my opinion, pigeonholed into a spot where I could see him saying, there's really no pathway forward for me here. And I, like you said, I can't promise that if things had been different in 2020 that he would have stuck around, but I do think it complicated it. I do think it made him probably see the reality of his situation more clear. Like, I think it was much more clear for him than if he had been just the pure backup all season. I do think... I think it changed things much quicker for him. And again, when you have a family that understands this too, you can go to a number of people and say, Hey, this is what I'm thinking. Is this what you see too? And you have people who understand how this whole system works. So it makes a lot of sense to me why Luke would leave. Yeah. There are, there are so many tentacles to this thing. And you guys have brought up like, seven or eight different tangents that we could go down that I want to go down that I wanted to kind of flow towards, but it's, it's like, there are so many different ways that you can talk about this. Um, the, the interesting thing, Aaron, you just brought up the, the NCAA uh, eligibility freeze. When that happened, it was pretty much, you could pretty much guarantee that one of Nebraska's quarterbacks was going to leave. And when you say that Luke gets pigeonholed, you know, two years ago with the way that they were recruiting quarterbacks, you have Adrian, you have Luke, now you have Logan. How does it work out if Adrian is a four-year starter? Because we were talking about if Adrian leaves, if he has a great sophomore season and then he has a good junior season and then he can leave and go to the NFL and then you're fine. You don't have to sit, you know, what would it be a, a third year sophomore behind a, a senior and Adrian Martinez in, in, next season um that didn't happen and then the ncaa froze eligibility and so on campus right well not right now because he's not with the team but if he'd stayed 
you would have three guys who are freshmen by eligibility in the quarterback room on campus. Would they recruit another guy in the next cycle? Greg, you can probably answer that question. I, I don't know, yes. but yes. Okay. So, so your numbers, your numbers just immediately get weird, get wonky. And like with the, the eligibility freeze, if you're going to add 25 guys in your recruiting cycle, you're going to bring back some of your seniors. You have to have attrition somewhere. Guys are going to have to leave. So like, you know, you, you could see guys were going to leave. It, it wasn't, it wasn't going to be a thing where every single player was going to come back and it was going to be all hunky dory and everybody was going to just run it back. Like there were guys that were going to have to leave. And so from that standpoint, um, I don't think anybody was surprised by Luke saying, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go someplace else because, and, and I don't want to speak to his motivations. I reached out to him. I asked if he wanted to, to provide any input on or, or provide any kind of clarity on what his decision-making was. I haven't heard back from him. Um, so I don't, I don't necessarily want to speculate on what it was, but like, you know, you, you could certainly see a, a situation where he didn't feel like there was a path to playing. You could certainly see a situation where um, they wanted him to do something else and he didn't want to do that thing. And Greg, your point about roles is the thing that I keep coming back to in all of this. When you talk about the guys that have left on the offensive side of the ball, so many of them, I think, and I, and I know you have to take everything on an individual basis, but so many of them I think can be lumped into to, to one category of role clarity. Do you guys know what they're going to be in a game plan on, on a Saturday? Do they know that on Monday? Like, do they know that they're going to be part of the game plan on Saturday? Do they know that they're going to touch the football on Saturday? Last season, you could maybe say, you know, excluding the quarterback because the quarterback has to touch the ball, but you could maybe say like Wandale was the only guy that could pencil in what his touches were going to be and nobody else could do that. That's, that's hard. And, and, you know, maybe you think that's an issue. Um, do you think that, that, that they need to firmly clarify roles for some of their, their skill position talent, Greg? Yes, um, because I, for a number of reasons. One, I think that it does, like in the short term, it keeps guys engaged um, because they kind of know what to expect and what they, or at least what they can hope to expect in a game. Like you, things can go sideways if, to the good or to the bad, and you just never know, right? And people understand that. You can chalk that up. But long term, it also becomes a development situation too because you want to be able to say, to the next kid, hey, we were able to, I'm trying to think off the top of my head of a good example of this because we may not have one on offense, where you say to a kid like a running back, if it had been what we thought it was going to be with Dedrick Mills, let's just say, that you can say, hey, Gabe Irvin, who's coming in, what you saw from Dedrick Mills and how that went from him, that's how we want this thing to go for you. Maybe the best one they have right now is kind of Austin Allen and his development to where you can go to a couple of the tight ends that have been brought in um, from the 2021 group, um, two of which are on campus now, and say, hey, he worked and did X, Y, and Z and figured out what he needed to do to get on the field. Here's a blueprint for you to follow because you, you need to be able to do that if you're going to be able to replicate that type Type of success um, and really build for the long term. So yeah, it would it would be a really big deal if they could get that figured out. And the biggest area that you that you can point to and say they don't have that is wide receiver. 
mm-hmm. where you look at a guy like Darian Chase leaves after a year because maybe he just didn't just didn't know what what he was going to have, which is justifiable considering the the usage that he had in his first year. Um, Marcus Fleming catches five passes for 75 yards against Northwestern and then doesn't get targeted again. And he leaves. Um, so, you know, from, from that standpoint, I think role clarity could go a long way towards maybe helping some of this. Um, if, one thing that's been a huge talking point this week is well, Nebraska is not alone in this. Everybody's dealing with transfers. Everybody has guys that are leaving, which is true. Transfer portal is huge uh, and, and at, a, at an unprecedented level. All of that is true. But Nebraska's had, since August 1st of 2018, so this excludes guys who jumped ship immediately after Frost was hired. This is just as, as far back as the transfer portal tracker on 247 goes. Since August 1st of 2018, 44 Nebraska players have gone into the portal and not come back to, the, to, to Lincoln. 24 of those players were offensive guys. 19 of them have come in the last two years. So just from a, a roster management standpoint, those are big numbers. It's, <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to build a roster when you're constantly turning guys over year after year. And you, and you hear Frost talk about, well, we're young. Well, we're young. Well, Yeah. Losing guys to the transfer portal is a big part of that. Is there a retention problem in Nebraska, Aaron? I don't think necessarily it's, it's so hard to say because I think you could make a case either way. Honestly, somebody listening to this might go, absolutely. There is a retention issue. Look at all the people leaving or have left, or um, somebody listening might be like, this is just, and actually, to be honest, I've watched this conversation happen in the Facebook comments of Hale Varsity's page for the last like year, essentially, of people who are like, the transfer portal has changed how everything functions and works. And some people are like, this is just the name of the game now. And some people are like, um, you know, no, Nebraska specifically has an issue. I think let me say little- this. Let me say this first to provide more context. First, mm-hmm. I don't want I don't mean to interrupt you, but since August 1st of 2020. Nebraska has seen 11 players go into the transfer portal from August 1st, 2020 to today, 11 people have gone into the transfer portal. Um, 44 power five programs, 43, excuse me, power five programs have had fewer. So what I was going to say is I think you there, it's a little bit of both. I think some of this is obviously um, yes to the person out there. Who's like the transfer portal has changed the game. Yes. I agree. Yes. The 2020 season and how weird and dumb the whole thing was changed the game a bit. Yep. I also believe that uh, the NCAA giving that extra year of uh, free eligibility changed the transfer for changed how players are transferring. But with Nebraska, I do think, and this is what we were kind of saying already. When you look at the number, you can make an individual case why any of these players would transfer and it make it make sense. But when you look at the sheer volume, that's where the concern level starts to come because why are so many, I mean, and you start to look at, okay, just on the day. So no, 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 we'll include Wandale. So you, when you look at Wandale, Luke, 
uh, Will Farniak and um, Cade Warner. You have the face of the program who was paraded everywhere as being the like face. He was put on a stage when they announced the go big, whatever project for the new football facility or new athletic facility. Um, it's you a have football the f- facility. You can call it what it is. Well, the other people are renters. <laughs> you said it, not me. Um, no, then you have the future being Luke, which I know you said we heard it a couple of months ago. We recently heard it. Like he said it just a, a couple of short weeks ago uh, when speaking with somebody that Luke was the future. We have a brother of a captain who comes from a football pedigree family, is the youngest of four. So that is kind of a little bit alarming. And then you have a captain who we heard all of this about like the hard work he put in. He deserved the scholarship he earned. He had been a walk on. And when you start to like, look at these, it it's not even the number, but it's starting to look at, this is a very like concerning trend of why would a, I mean, the last time a captain transferred from nebraska while they still had eligibility was joe daly in 2004 it's not like captains are transferring every day so yeah i get it he he was a walk-on wide receiver who worked his way to earning a scholarship and didn't have a significant amount of playing time in 2020 so it's really from that perspective not that big of a deal but i do think nebraska has an issue here when you have a captain in, for what the first time in 17 years choosing to transfer like that's not that's not that's not nothing let's just put it that way it's not nothing there's something to be said about why and it's it it seems like it's plaguing especially a lot of the offense it, it is plaguing the offensive side of the ball because as we saw a lot of defensive players are wanting to come back yeah part of that is which side of the football is more fun to play on right now? Like that, I, th- that's part of what it is. And, you know, I, I, and- Frost has told people that he, he doesn't buy into the narrative that um, the defense is further along than the offense. I, I, I would argue that it's not really a narrative, um, but I know, you know, somebody like our editor, Brandon Vogel would even disagree with that. Um, so you, you can kind of go both ways, but like, so I think the example that's been used to kind of justify Nebraska not being a weirdo in all of this is Northwestern. Uh, There's been a handful of people that have just blindly pointed to Northwestern and said, look, they have however many guys that are in the transfer portal. Let me pull my list back up. I think it's seven, seven or eight, seven guys are in the transfer portal from Northwestern. Six of them are grad transfers. Six of them are immediately eligible players. Um, but, but Northwestern is kind of held up as the, look, this team was really good and they're still getting hit with transfers. Cool. Ohio state played for a national title and has one player currently in the transfer portal. Um, Indiana, who was the second best team in the big 10 has three Wisconsin, who is perennially one of the best teams in the, in the big 10 West has three Purdue has three Clemson has four. Three of them are grad transfers. Alabama has four. Sometimes when you're just good, when it's fun to play for your football team, players want to play for your football team. And, and, and I think there's a, a little bit to that on the defensive side of the ball. Like guys like playing for Eric Chenander. He gets them on the field. They're developing guys like playing for Mike Dawson, Travis Tony Fisher. Tui, Odie, Travis Fisher. There is a track record of development on that side of the ball. And you can look at a guy like Lamar Jackson, who this staff inherited, made it work with him. And now he's a starting cornerback in the NFL. So 
I think there's something to that and that's not now, to absolve the offense, but no. And I, I do want to just throw this caveat because we did talk about this in the mailbag. Sorry. I just have to throw this little like asterisks in there because I did say this in the mailbag. Yes. To the person who's like, well, the offense just sort of not Nebraska specific, but offenses tend to lead to more transfers just because it's just like the name of the game. Yes, because you have quarterbacks who tend to transfer more often. And yes, you'll see wide receivers potentially transfer more than you'll see a defensive back. But it's also not like it. That's also kind of, in my opinion, grasping at straws. So like while I acknowledge that in the mailbag that, yes, the offense tends to get the like focus on it with transfers. There is a reason, at least in my opinion, at Nebraska, that you are seeing more attrition on the offensive side of things right now and not so much on the defensive side and it's, also, it's for everything you just laid out. It's also, I, and I pointed this out in the scoring the Huskers defensive backs um, portion of the series that just ran Thursday morning on Um for the defensive backs. The four starters played the lion's share of snaps. They played three guys were over 500 snaps. And then Cam Taylor Britt was close to 500. And then fifth was Quentin Newsom, who was around 140 um, miles farmer had like, 80 something he got hurt in Purdue so we missed a couple of games but like a game and a half worth of snaps for the the number six DB in the room so like it's not like there's huge rotation with the defensive backs but those those guys are retaining um I, I think the biggest issue when you talk about Nebraska lose well let's go here Greg I haven't gone to you in a, in a hot minute do you think there's a retention issue uh yes but I think that it's like Aaron said, it's kind of tricky because you can paint it either way if you really want to, but I would lean yes. Um, and for a lot of the reasons that she laid out. And I, I think that part of it though, and I keep coming back to what we've already talked about a little bit about the kind of the plan for guys um, offensively, because I can just see guys on offense getting frustrated. And even, even if you just think about the recent three, in kind of each of their situations as you take them individually. We covered Luke and kind of how he could get there. But Kate Warner, you could also see how he could get there. And while if you if he's being held up as it's kind of the shiny example of the walk-on who earned a scholarship, who then worked his way into a captain and has the respect of his teammates, but then kind of sees his playing time disappear, whether or not you think that other guys should have been playing over him or not. Like now he has to look up and say, well, if it's not happening for me while I'm a captain and I'm a model teammate on the field, then when is it going to happen for me? If you look at Will Farniak and you say, okay, I was really the only other center on the roster. And when Cam Jurgens either was injured or was just kind of snapping the ball erratically, I guess I should say, um, then I, they didn't go to me. And it didn't really feel like Will Farniak was ever really in the discussion to be gone to. Um, and so I could see from his perspective, okay, it, it doesn't really feel like I'm just going to get a shot. And that may be like earned or not earned what happened with those guys playing time. But at the same time, you can understand why they would then want to seek other opportunities to be able to play. But on the flip side, you also have to be able to acknowledge that the amount of attrition that Nebraska has had, especially on the offensive side of the ball, is not normal and something needs to be addressed there. Yeah, I think, you know, and I tweeted this on Tuesday or whenever it was, like I, I always try to remember, like just because a guy wants to play, it doesn't make him selfish. Like guys want to play. They don't want to just right, sit on the bench. The school for. <laughs> yeah, they want to play. So if Cade Warner is going to go to 
and and a lot of people point to Nebraska transfers going to smaller schools that aren't power five schools. I mean, okay. But if Cade Warner is going to go to a smaller school and he's going to play a bunch then, and he's happy, then good for him. Like I'm all for that. I'm all for guys being happy playing football. That's the point of playing football. Um, I, I think the bigger issue is with the way that guys are, I don't want to say evaluated talk the way guys are talked about. Like I was well before the season as a staff, we talked about like, okay, what is the wide receiver room going to look like? And the way Kate Warner has been spoken about since really Frost got to Lincoln was that he was a leader in their wide receiver room and a guy they wanted on the field for whatever reason, reasons X, Y, Z, they wanted him on the field. And in the offseason, we had arguments about, okay, well, what is that going to translate to in terms of his numbers? Is he going to be their third leading receiver? Is he going to be their fourth leading receiver? And I remember having an argument with Jacob. It was not an argument. It was, it was a polite argument, um, a debate back and forth with Jacob Padilla that I didn't think Cade Warner was going to be like the fourth leading receiver just amongst the wide receivers because I just thought they had better options. And you know, we get into the preseason and fall camp and I'm seduced a little bit by Kate Warner and the mustache and everything that's said about him. And, you know, the, the whiteboard meetings that he has with guys watching Monday night football and all that other stuff, all that stuff's great coach on the field. You want that stuff, but it's the way that guys are talked about. And then it doesn't translate to the field on Saturdays that you start to question. Is there a problem here with identification? And so this leads us naturally back to Luke, who Frost said time and time again, and he doubled down on this and doubled down on this, that Luke was the future at quarterback. That when, whenever Adrian was done, that Luke McCaffrey had Frost's full trust confidence with, with running the offense. He talked about it in the preseason where he said he made a point of illustrating for us, and we don't get to see practice, so we just had to take his word for it, that this was not a situation where they had two bad guys. This was a situation where they had two good quarterbacks pushing each other day in and day out, that it wasn't like it was before where Adrian could just rest on his laurels and go into the season as a starter, that Luke McCaffrey was legitimately pushing him. And then during the season, all we heard was that they played well in practice. I didn't see this coming on Saturdays. They played well in practice. We graded them. They were dead even. And he talked about Adrian getting the starting job just because Adrian had more experience, but both guys could have started. Luke McCaffrey this season had six interceptions and 76 pass attempts. So according to sports reference, he is one of only 33 quarterbacks since 2000 to have six or more interceptions on fewer than 80 passes. He's also one of only 13 power five quarterbacks to do that. And I know like 2000 probably seems close for certain people, but like that averages out to about 1.6 guys a year. That's not company you want to be in Nebraska as a passing team. And I had these numbers pulled up is one of only four power five programs plus Notre Dame to throw five touchdowns or fewer in a season and throw nine interceptions or more in a season. The passing game was not good. It was not good. Adrian Martinez was better as the year went on, but they had no vertical deep threat and it hamstrung everything else that they tried to do. 
they were, you know, they, they juiced the numbers a little bit with the quarterback run. They were good on standard downs. We could get into all of that. But when Luke McCaffrey was operating the offense as the year went on, I think a lot of people could look at it and say, yeah, this isn't working. But we continue to hear Luke McCaffrey's the future. I trust Luke McCaffrey. I have confidence in Luke McCaffrey. Luke McCaffrey is going to be a good quarterback. Is there an issue right now with this offensive staff or Frost in particular being able to properly identify and utilize the talent that he has? Uh, I, so maybe I would say something though, that maybe, and I want to be just very clear with how I say this, that when we make the comment, like we haven't seen practice and we haven't been around to see things like that isn't an excuse. It's just the reality. I, it's hard to speak on something that we have to essentially take someone's word for because we're not getting to see or be a part or be around. I mean, even just like those little details, like take when we would stand outside of the practice facility and waiting for uh, the opportunity to interview people, even those little moments share a lot. And we haven't had those in a very long time. Um, my question would be is, is the talent ident like, is it not so much that they're struggling to identify the talent, but that they're not in agreement in some way over that talent. And what I mean by that is we know that Matt Lubick and Scott Frost share play calling duties. And by share play calling duties, I would say it's basically more or less, we, we, how many, how many times we've heard it? Like Verdusco, for instance, he's the, he's the king of letting us know that like Frost is the head guy, like what he says goes. So yes, while we hear about them sharing, I do think a lot like falls on Frost to make that decision of, well, who's starting, who's doing this, 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 and this. So my question is specifically with quarterbacks, what happens if Verdusco, Lubick and Frost are not in agreement? So let's say Lubick and Verdusco are the two that are saying we need to roll with this guy and here's why, blah, 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 blah. And Frost is saying that's great, but I want to roll with this guy. We don't know what those conversations are like. We don't, and we wouldn't even if we saw practice, to be fair, you'd have to still take someone's word for it. Do we though? I think, I feel like they've hinted at it. I feel like Mario has hinted at this and Frost, when he talked to the newspaper said that he has veto power over Ooh. Lubick when he doesn't, when he doesn't necessarily agree with the call or like a call late in the game, he has veto power. Do we, right. do we know that Frost can just override? Cause at the end of the day, he is the head coach. So like it's, it's his decision at the end of the day. The, the, you know, you know, we gather around the circle and sing Kumbaya thing is cute. But at the end of the day, when you have a disagreement, it goes to the head coach, right? Yeah. And that's the thing is, so what if the head coach is the one who maybe isn't evaluating that talent? Not, I'm not going to say incorrectly, but maybe evaluating that talent differently than maybe an assistant is. There are just a number of questions I have about maybe it's not so much even just a lack of not being able to identify talent, but maybe a miss, I don't know if misunderstanding is even the right word, but maybe just miscommunication over what that talent is. Or maybe like if, if one person feels one way and another person feels another, because I, I imagine if you're a player 
and your position coach feels one way about you, but the head coach feels another way about you, that has to be massively confusing. And again, like, I'm not saying like that about any one specific person. I'm not saying it about any person who transferred. I'm just from my, my limited knowledge of what we've experienced in the last couple of years, especially in a year where we get very little, you start to try to pick up on these little details. And this is one where I just wonder if there isn't a little bit of confusion, a little bit of disagreement. It's just hard to say that like, I don't know. It's so complicated for me in my head. Like it's like a storm in here. Like I feel like there's a tornado in my head and I'm trying to grasp at like how this whole thing functions. But honestly, that might be part of the problem (laughs) is that it is a little bit of a tornado. It feels to me slightly chaotic. That's where we started with everything being chaotic in the off season because that's standard procedure around here. Um, I, I do. I think that there is a, a, a at least a slight issue of identification of talent, but I think that there's another word that Aaron used that is like really key here, and that's just communication. I think that there's a communication issue, whether it's between it's coach to coach, um, like Aaron was saying, or it's coach to player, if it's assistant to player, head coach to player, and then maybe even player to player. But then there is an issue head coach to media like when Derek was saying the thing about kind of if you listen to Scott Frost talk during the offseason about Cade Warner and then based on that because yes again we we're not seeing anything we have to take their word for it based on that you would think that he's kind of the entrenched starter and he's going to be a guy or like a key component um it even goes beyond and he wasn't it goes beyond that Think about what was being said about Alante Brown um, during the offseason, right? Sticking at wide receiver. And then we get out there, and what did, did he have like four or five catches? He had three catches. The there we go. And I think about, no, take it one step further. Think about what they said about Miles Jones. Yeah, I mean, you can, there's, there's plenty of them. We can continue to go kind of down that road. Um, and so I do think, and I think that that's part of, I, don't, I, I can never tell if that's being done because Frost wants to kind of hype these guys up and make them believe that they can go do anything or he just needs something to say. Like, I just don't know what purpose that serves um, when you're talking about specific players in that way to then essentially build expectation to what they're going to be. And then it just doesn't happen. Like, I, I just don't understand that portion of it. I think he's in a tough spot. Because, and, and and I don't want that to seem apologist, but I do think he's in a tough spot. What 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 really is he supposed to say? Well, Kate Warner is not good and wouldn't start at probably twelve of the other thirteen Big Ten programs. But all our other guys are young, so we just kind of have to roll with him, right? Like he can't say that. And we want to write about good things. We want to write about good storylines. And Kate Warner going from walk-on, son of a a great NFL quarterback, trying to make his own mark. He's at Nebraska. He's a wide receiver. Going from walk-on to scholarship wide receiver to captain. That's a great story. We want to write about that stuff. He's kind of in a tough spot from that standpoint. And, uh, And part of it, too, is... These guys have to execute on the field. Kate Warner dropped two touchdowns in the first, Mm -hmm. what, three weeks of the season? Two in-his-hands touchdowns. And people were like, well, Adrian should have thrown a better ball. No, 
he put them in his hands and Cade dropped them. Hit his hands, yeah. Yeah, you have yeah. to catch those. And so part of this is, you know, <laughs> guys have to execute on the field and, and guys haven't executed on the field. And, and, you know, when Frost says it, it sounds like, oh, he's putting all the blame, shifting all the blame to the players. But, you know, th- there's a little bit of truth to that. Um, so from that standpoint, like, go ahead, Aaron. I was just going to say, I think a little bit of it, I agree with you 100%. What, what else is he supposed to say? And I think that's part of being a coach is you, you say things that sometimes are maybe a little bit like not, not necessarily a lie or maybe not necessarily, you know, not the truth, uh, but are a little bit like rosy because that you're not going to like go throw somebody under the bus unless you need to. I think a little bit of it is there. So, okay. Sorry, not to like throw this into a quick tangent, but like, let's just think of like Nick Saban. Nick Saban can say whatever Nick Saban wants to say because the man wins and he is winning national championships and he can go tell you whatever he wants and he can be prickly and he can get snarky about all these things and nobody cares because he wins. Winning solves so much. When you're not winning, you kind of have to find a different, if you want to break it down to simply this, a different PR strategy. And so if you're frost and you're thinking like, well, I can't talk a kid up because if I talk a kid up and he leaves, then everyone's going to hold it against me. I honestly think a little bit is just shifting how things are said. In my opinion, it is not going and throwing Kate under the bus. It's not going and being like, ah, who cares? He's a walk on. I don't care. Like not doing like not doing something like that, but instead of maybe for instance, with Luke calling him the future saying, we're really excited about the future with Luke. We think he has a bright future. We are very excited about what he has in front of him. Instead of making him this thing, the future, this don't give people this thing to hang on to just make it. We're excited. Like, I think it's sometimes just tweaking the messaging where you're not throwing the kid under the bus, but you're also not putting the crown on his head just yet. That would be my two cents, my PR like little spin. I think there's a way to spin how things are said where you can still go feel rosy and good about what it is without necessarily giving too much away that comes back to potentially bite you in the ass later. Yeah, there's part of that. And, and I agree with a lot of what Greg said too. Um, it, it, you know, you brought up Nick Saban, like Nick Saban's been around this for forever. He, he knows how to handle the media. He knows how to do that. Frost is a young coach. Um, being guided a little bit by the way that he was treated. Maybe I can't say this definitively, maybe being guided a little bit by the way that he was treated or what he observed when he was a player here, he's still a young coach. Um, So if he's trying to figure out kind of the right way to do that, then that's, that's completely understandable, completely justifiable to Greg's point though. And and this is kind of what we're talking about to bring it back to Luke is, is, you know, it, no, you don't have to say, he is the future. There's no doubt in my mind that he is the future. And yes, you can kind of sort of couch those. It's maybe more of an acknowledgement of what needs to be worked on or maybe, maybe more grounded comments would do better instead of there's no doubt in my mind, Luke McCaffrey is the future. It's more of, yeah, we've seen stuff that, that he needs to improve on. What, what stuff, technically speaking, what stuff we don't, we don't really know what they're being taught. Would, would maybe so, would something like that help? I don't know. You know, they don't want to give away state secrets, which is fine, but something like that. And then you get into a game and Luke McCaffrey comes in for two plays against Minnesota where Adrian has to step out and he throws two passes and he wasn't ready. He 
wasn't ready to throw those two passes. He's not ready to be a pass first quarterback piloting a spread offense. He's just not ready for that. That's what we saw this season. But, you know, you, you say he's the, he's the future for us. I've got confidence in him. I've got trust in him to lead our offense. And then he goes out and he looks like he is not ready for that. He is not that guy. Greg, where are you at with all this? I, I was thinking, actually, to Aaron's point about like the PR strategy, essentially, of how to say things differently, um, I think is dead on. But I also wonder, though, to like in full fairness, to give Frost some credit, has he done that some with the way he talks about Adrian Martinez? So if you think about, was it, I, I'm going to get the time wrong, two years ago, was it, when he said the thing about we've seen him do do things that only the guy in Kansas City does? Is that I, I think that was two years ago when he said that to where now, <laughs> Derek's face right now, whereas now he's like, you know, I think he has a chance to, you know, still be like an all-conference player or something like that. Like, I think that he's kind of – taken that down a couple of notches and I don't know if that's because he's seen more football out of Adrian Martinez and he adjusts his expectations but I do think that the way that Adrian Martinez was talked about so glowingly after his freshman season versus now is different but as even as I explain that I don't know if that's a function of Scott Frost adjusting the way that his messaging is or if it's just that we've seen more football from Adrian he feels like he has to. Yeah. I, so I was, I was thinking of when you said that, um, like when he made the comment about Cam Jorgens being a Remington trophy winner within a certain period of time. And I think, I think for me, what I'm kind of hitting on now, and like, I'm kind of having this realization even more as we have like talk through this podcast is I think it's not crowning champions until they, they truly are that champion. And I think Frost doesn't come at these from a place. I don't think he's coming at them from a bad place. Like I want to be very clear. I don't think he's being facetious. I don't think he's being ill-intentioned by any means. I think when he says Adrian is doing, when he's comparing Adrian to Patrick Mahomes, I think it's out of the, the it's the biggest of compliment. I think when he's saying Cam Jurgens has that potential to be a Remington trophy winner, it's out of a place of like, it's an extreme compliment. Like it's not out of a bad place, but I think maybe it's just toning those things down a little bit because Adrian, you don't want to, you don't want to do that just so quickly because then what ends up happening is people then are always going to remember that comment or they're going to remember the, the, Cam Jurgens comment. I think maybe it's just a little bit of, like I said, a shift in how things are spoken about where it's like, you can still be glowing. You can still be excited about your guys without maybe placing the crown on their head just yet. Because I mean, there are a few players that deserve that from the get-go, but how many players have to earn that over time? And I think there's something to be said about frost what he's wanting to do is talk his players up and talk about how he scout agrees with me in the background um he wants to celebrate his players but maybe it just has to be done maybe it just has to be dialed not even back just dialed in a different direction we're hanging on every single word one of the uh the downsides of covering a losing program so um when they're when they're winning, you don't have to 
worry about stuff like this. You don't dissect every single word the coach says. Nick Saban. (laughs) Nick Saban in Alabama, dial back into the call. (laughs) Um, That's right. Hopefully we'll get there. So I, we can wrap up with this. I don't, I don't think Luke McCaffrey going into the portal changes Nebraska's short-term outlook for the 2021 season. I don't think Kate Warner going into the portal changes Nebraska's short-term outlook. And I don't think Will Farniak going into the portal changes their short-term outlook. Are, are, are we in a, all in agreement there? Yes, we are. Yeah. Yeah, Erin's just nodding her head. She's still muted. I'm nodding my head mostly because my dogs are now barking in the background. So I'm trying to spare people by muting myself. Yeah. But I agree, I yes. <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, this was going to be a significantly – challenging season for Nebraska um, but it was also going to be a, a a crucial kind of touchstone season for Nebraska um, and the departure of Luke McCaffrey doesn't change that it's probably still going to be Adrian Martinez in the driver's seat at quarterback it's it's probably still going to be a situation where you need your scholarship wide receivers the highly recruited wide receivers that you brought into the program to be productive for you and be on the field for you um, that hasn't changed. It's, it's going to be a season where you're going to need more consistency from your offensive line. That hasn't changed. I don't know that anybody was going to factor Will Farniak into the, the top five, six, seven guys in the offensive line. Um, so, you know, this, this is still, I, I think in a lot of ways, the, the conversation that we have to have about this, this football team, not necessarily direction of this program, but this football team heading into the new season is, is unchanged. Um, I think Logan Smothers is a capable quarterback. I think Heinrich Harburg is a capable quarterback, probably more so with those two guys than, than a lot of people think right now. I've seen them labeled as projects in a lot of places. Um, we'll see. But, you know, and Greg, you wrote about this this week. There's not a whole lot of difference between their quarterback situation right now and their quarterback situation heading into the 2020 season. Luke McCaffrey threw 12 passes as a, as a true freshman, it's not like he had a boatload of college experience. He took snaps, but 12 passes. I mean, the, the, the situation that they're in now is not far removed from the situation that they were in before. So we'll see. This is a very, very important season for Scott Frost for a lot of the, the reasons that we've talked about on this podcast. And for a lot of other reasons, he's 12 and 20 as a head coach, this guy to improve and, you know, losing a, a wide receiver that had five catches in the season prior and a backup center that wasn't actually your backup center and a quarterback that had one touchdown and six interceptions, six interceptions. Um, you know, that it's not going to change the conversation about, about Frost as a coach. So um, are there any other things that we did not hit on that you guys would like to talk about before we wrap this up? No, but all I have to say is uh Nebraska volleyball remains the goat at both its long, long-term game and its short-term game on a, a Twitter. So if you haven't seen it, they're now making GameStop, Wall Street, uh, stock market jokes. <laughs> so shout out to Nebraska volleyball for staying relevant on the timeline while also roasting everyone. <laughs> I don't understand anything that's going on with this GameStop thing. I just wish that next time we decide to make a lot of money off of video games that I'm I'm involved in the discussion because that's like what I would like to do. I, I it's I 
had I had to have it explained to me and I still don't fully understand what's happening. All I know is that Reddit is somehow involved and they're taking down the hedge fund hedge fund people who make a lot of money and those people are mad. And now other people are doing bad things to prevent money from being made by the people on Reddit. So long story short, uh, new I don't... stock podcast from Aaron Sorensen coming soon. <laughs> coming soon. Yeah. Long just... story short. <laughs> I'm going to really break down the stock market for you uh, by repeating things that other people tell me to you. So by the time it gets to you, it's just bad information. <laughs> It could be brought to you by TikTok. I mean, TikTok is probably half of what is explained all of this <laughs> to me. So, <laughs> Greg, anything you want to hit on before we wrap up? No, I love your final point that it, it is a pivotal off season in so many ways, entering into just a huge season. Like I, I'm just already so intrigued by the season. We have to get there. Um, there's a long way to go, and there's a lot of stuff to work out. But there are so many questions. And I do want to say, I don't say that uh, Luke McCaffrey's departure doesn't change the short-term outlook. I don't want that to seem like I'm saying Luke McCaffrey is a bad player or a bad person. That's not what I'm saying. Um, he can, he, he's still very young. Like we said, he threw 12 passes two seasons ago and he only threw 76 passes last year. He's got a lot of, of opportunity and time to get better. So we'll see. Um, and here's the last thing. I will actually say something serious about football. Nebraska, Nebraska went on a joint effort today, whether it was intentional or not, seemed pretty planned with players saying that the unity has never been better, that they believe this offseason and everything ahead of them has never been better, never been stronger. Uh, words mean so much. It's time for them to show up. So when we talk about, you know, all the players who left and being able to justify them, it's going to be harder to justify those departures if the team that is there right now cannot back those words up. So uh, show up because all of these tweets will not age well if, if people aren't taking it as seriously as they claim. So show up, damn it. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is hundred percent. There will be questions to Scott Frost over the season about this. If they don't show up. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. but this is what happens when you lose. Every single crack is has a magnifying glass held to it. Um, and when you win, it's not necessarily the case. Um, that's going to do it for this week. I'm sure you guys are tired of hearing my voice. Greg and Aaron, you guys are probably tired of it too. Um, I got to get ready to go cover a women's basketball game. And uh, which, by the way, they are the second best Husker team in the athletic department right now. Aaron, thank you for coming on. Thank you. Greg. Go women's sports. Go women's sports. <laughs> Greg, thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. Also go women's sports. <laughs> uh, make sure you're reading hailvarsity.com. Subscribe to Hail Varsity. Subscribe to all of the podcast offerings we have as a proud part of the Herd at Media Network. Greg Smith has his own podcast with Jay Foreman. Straight Up Breakdown podcast. Erin Sorensen has her own podcast with Sasha Durkin. The Mind Your Own podcast. Shouts to Sasha for producing this and uh, to you guys for listening every week. Remember, if you have not already, go leave a five-star review. If you leave a four-star or a three-star or a two-star or, God forbid, a one-star review, I will find you. I will track down your email address, and I will spam message clips of these Scott's Tots episodes straight to your inbox. Be safe. Go play in the snow. Talk to you guys next week. A Hoda Media Production.